Before Josh brings his message today, um, will you please open your Bibles to 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. I'm going to read that for us this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, good morning. So our four interns have participated in worship this morning. If you're a guest, I am not an intern. I'm the preacher here, all right? <clears throat> I want to say, uh, as Katie said just a moment ago, happy Memorial Day. That this is a day where brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world get together to, uh, to claim our freedom in Christ. It's a day as Americans, or a weekend as Americans, we celebrate the freedom uh, that we get to worship in a space like this, not having to worry about uh, being arrested and other things that happen to Christians all over the world for, because of men and women who have sacrificed their lives uh, for us here in this country. So uh, this morning, uh, I want to continue a series that we've been in since Easter Sunday on the resurrection. It's a series called Arise Every Week. We've been talking about the resurrection, how it changes how we live today. And months ago, I felt as I was planning the series that there was a topic God wanted me to address within this series, like what it means to live as resurrected people. I was a little hesitant to do it, but there are times where uh, God is pressing something on our hearts so much that if we do not act in obedience, it's uh, disobedience. So I want to I open the word today, and I want to talk about something that's kind of sensitive, all right? So uh, before I even let you know what it is, I just want you to know the doors in the back are closed, or bodyguards, or security guards back there. You cannot leave this room, all right? Uh, because this morning, I want to talk about faith, the church, and the 2016 election, all right? You excited about this? You ready to go? Um, how many of you are enjoying selection season? Can I just see a show of hands? Have we got anybody here? Now, I'll get to some audience participation in just a moment, okay? But before that, I feel the need to talk about this uh, because the church should be the place where we can talk about anything, that we don't compartmentalize lives or where there's stuff we can't talk about when we come into this space and we worship because there are issues that are shaping our culture, our nation, our world, and we need to be able to talk about them in a safe place with brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, there are some things that excite me about this year, and there are things that concern me. And I want to take some time this morning talking about what it means to be a Christian in an election season, and maybe better said, what does it mean to be someone who has died and been buried and is raised with Christ, has been resurrected, that we've joined with Jesus in the death, burial, and resurrection? What does it mean for Christians to live in an election season in a way that we do not blow our witness and burn bridge after bridge on the way to November. Uh, so before we get deep into the Bible, because I want that to lay the foundation for this day, and this is a day that I, I want you to trust me that I want the very best for us when we leave this day. I hope that I preach in a way that is helpful and hopeful and pastoral and puts Jesus in front of you in a way that's so inviting and intriguing that there's no way we want to leave the day without saying yes to going deeper with him. Um, I hope we laugh a little bit today and we won't leave here until everyone is crying, all right? We got it. A uh, little audience participation this morning, and I'm not going to ask questions about who are you voting for, or who do you like, or who do you not like, or what issue 
do you think is the most important issue? Can I just see a show of hands? How many of you are enjoying this election season, either because you are wrapped up in it or because you find it to be very entertaining? Can I just see a show of hands? All right, not many of you. How many of you would say, a show of hands, how many of you have watched every debate or almost every debate so far? Do we have anybody here? All right, we got more of those. Okay, hands down. Uh, how many of you have yet to watch one debate? All right, did we see a show of hands for those? My goodness, all right, I was not expecting that. And uh, last but not least, how many of you just cannot wait for this whole election to be over? All right, you're ready for it to end right now. Okay, I think we can build on this. I think we can build on this from here, all right? Uh, I'm not going to get political today in a way that we're going to unpack all the issues. So I'm not going to stay on stage. We're not going to unpack and dive into conversations about uh, uh, abortion and the economy and immigration and uh, the environment and education and emails and haircuts, all right? We're not going to get into all those issues. We're not going to talk about legislation, though there's some legislation I would like to place in front of you, like, I mean, can't there be something in Memphis where there are harsher penalties for people who run red lights on left turn signals? Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? I mean, maybe the first fee is $50, second fee, two years of 201 Poplar, all right? We can take care of this thing. Or legislation that Chick-fil-A should be forced to serve to Christians on Sundays because why should Christians not get Christian chicken on Sundays? You know what I'm saying? All right. <clears throat> Seriously, there is a disorder that maybe you were not aware of, and it's called PESD, not PTSD, not post-traumatic stress disorder. This is another disorder. This is my fourth election to be a preacher, at a, a full-time preacher at a church. So I, was, I, was, uh, I started preaching full-time at a church back in 2003. So I've been a preacher during the 2004 election where we had a Republican win. I've been the preacher during 08 and 2012 here, in, here at Sycamore View in Memphis when a Democrat won. And in all three of those elections, and I anticipate this will happen again later on this year because this is the way a lot of people are wired, there are people who will suffer from PESD, post-election stress disorder. I know counselors who have talked about how two months after a presidential election, the, the time they spend with people dealing with stress and depression and anxiety increases either because the side that they wanted to win didn't win and they just don't know how it happened, or, or even those who did win. And, and, but they put so much passion into the election season that after the election was over, they couldn't find their way back into life. And I want to help protect people in this church from PESD, from post-election stress disorder, that we can be properly equipped to be God's people in an election season. Now, you're not going to hear me today say anything that your convictions don't matter. You're not going to hear me say stuff like, um, uh, uh, I'm not going to persuade you to vote a certain way. I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to try to persuade you that the concerns you have about the nation or about the world or about low stuff happening locally, that they don't matter. Those things do matter. Um, I want you to open your Bibles to First Peter. Because Peter gets political. Peter gets political in First Peter. Paul, there are a couple of different times he gets political. Now, the way most election seasons go, and tell me if I'm wrong, all right? The way most election seasons go is whoever is running for whatever side, um, they may not say it, but the process seems to go something like this. This is the most important election in the history of our nation. Have you ever heard a candidate say anything other than that? 
because what would you do if someone stood up and they said, you know, if you took all the elections in the history of our nation and you listened to them in order of importance, this is probably in the bottom five, but I want to run anyway. A part of me would probably vote for that person just for being honest. But usually what happens, how the process goes is this is the most important election in the history of our nation. And if we get this wrong, we may all die within the next four to eight years. And if you vote in a way that gets this wrong, not only are you going to burn in hell, your grandchildren probably will too because God's going to curse you to the fourth generation, all right? Now, maybe that's exaggeration just a little bit, all right? But it's usually a process that goes something like that. I don't want this election year to influence how you read Scripture. I want Scripture to influence how you engage in an election year. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, here's how it goes. All right, <clears throat> Peter's going to get political, but not yet. And as we read, I want you to be thinking, who is Jesus and who are we? And here's what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us, and I underline this on the stage, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That, that lets you know right up front, Peter is banking on the resurrection of Jesus being true. Jesus is the Son of God who was raised from the dead, and we are these people who've been invited into a new, uh, um, uh, the way he says it, a new birth into a living hope. Now, keep looking, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, because Peter's going to talk a lot about hope in chapter 1. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he w is revealed. So it's not just a little bit of your hope or half your hope. You set all your hope on the fact that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to reveal himself to be everything God has said he is. Now, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not, I really hope, I wish, I, I'm crossing my fingers that when God comes back that I, I can be with him forever. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is the story that we believe in. It's the story of what we hand on to people. It is what we tell people life is all about. It's what life with Jesus is all about. So Peter's going to get political, but not yet. Chapter 1, verse 21, there's more about hope. Through him, you have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are set on God. And then he keeps talking more about identity. You can go home and read it through the rest of chapter 1, early on in chapter 2. And then he gets to chapter 2, verse 9. There are two images I want to put in front of you. Chapter 2, verse 9, and the questions I want you to be thinking as you read this is, who are we and what do we do? All right, who are we and what do we do? Chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are the chosen people of God. That from the very beginning, God had this idea that through Jesus, he was going to launch this church and invite these people from all different tribes and nations and languages to come together. They're this chosen race, a royal priesthood. In order that, there's responsibility given. It's in order that they may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter's going to get political, but not yet. Chapter 2, just a couple of verses later in verse 11, here's what he says. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles 
some of your versions say strangers, to abstain from the desires of the flesh, the wage war against the soul, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Peter is talking to people who are under Roman rule, Roman emperors. There's all kind of persecution and evil and immorality. And what he is teaching them is, right, you put your hope in God and you live in a way that when outsiders see the way you live, they're not going to look at you and think that you were judgmental or hypocritical. They're going to look at you and see how honorable it is that you were living. And by seeing the honorable life you live, they're going to be drawn into the Jesus story too. And now Peter gets political. Chapter 2, verse 13. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor is supreme or of governors, is sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. You honor whoever it is that is in authority. Whoever it is God has appointed, whoever it is that is there, you honor them and you live as free people. You don't give in to evil. But that's not where Peter ends. If you look in verse 17, here's what he says. Four things. Honor honor everyone. You love the church. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. You love the believers, love the brothers, love the brothers and sisters. You love the people of God. You love the church. You fear God, and you honor the emperor. But here's what you don't see in the Bible. But what we learn through looking at first century culture, that for people who were not Christians, for for people living in the Roman Empire in the first century, that phrase, honor the emperor, is something they saw everywhere. But it wasn't just the phrase, honor the emperor. This was a phrase that they would see hanging on banners, and they, they knew this phrase. But it was a phrase that was followed up by another phrase. And I think Christians who were living then, they would know this. And the phrase was, you honor the emperor and you worship the emperor. But Peter stopped short of that. He doesn't go there. All right, so in a way, what Peter is doing for Christians is he's offering them this encouragement. Hey, you honor the emperor, period. That is where it stops. But in another way, Peter's like giving this uppercut to all the authorities of Rome, letting them know that as Christians, we're going to honor the laws that don't force us to break God's law. We're going to honor the laws that have been in place, but we are not going into that next statement that all of you claim. We're going to honor the emperor, but we're not going to worship the emperor. We're not going to worship Rome. Jesus is our full allegiance. For Christians, it is this new shift in a life that allegiance is given to God, and allegiance to God cannot get in bed with any other passion that you may have in this life. There is no passion of politics, not even your love for your family, that can get in bed with the allegiance that is supposed to be given to God. But Peter learned this from someone. Peter's not the only one that gets political. Paul gets political in Romans chapter 13. We'll read later on, Paul gets political in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But they learned this from someone. Who did Peter learn this from? What's the biblical answer? Any question in church that people ask, 
Jesus needs to be a great answer, right? Peter learned this from Jesus. Do you remember that time in Mark chapter 12? Matthew tells this story too, where Jesus was asked by people, they're trying to trap him. Hey, we got some taxes and we need to pay taxes. What should we do? And they're trying to trap Jesus in what he says, hoping Jesus will like bash the emperor or do something to where they can arrest him or have some false charge or some charge against him. Do you remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12? You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's. Jesus actually says there are some things that need to be given to Caesar. Think about that. There are some things that, that do need to be given to Caesar, but there are some things that don't go to Caesar. Caesar wanted people to claim him as Lord. Jesus is the only Lord. Uh, Caesar wanted to be known as the son of God. That wasn't something that was Caesar's. The right to dictate worship did not belong to Caesar. And they knew this. Those early people were taught by Jesus and Peter and Paul continue to teach that the kingdom of Rome is not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of any nation is not the kingdom of heaven. And here's what John Ortberg writes in, um, in his book, Who is This Man? Here's what he says about this place where Jesus talks about Caesar. Jesus would not worship Caesar, but he would also not hate him or slander him or even ignore him. Jesus didn't just want to bless Israel. Jesus wanted to bless Rome. Jesus wanted to bless Caesar. He goes on to say that Jesus called for people to love Rome, to engage in enterprise and education and the arts and statecraft and neighborhoods so that Rome could flourish, but not to worship Rome. All right, so how do we exist in a way where we engage our culture around us and we remain people who, first and foremost, are devoted to the kingdom of God above all things? I don't think it's any like, surprise to you that there, uh, it seems that the gap is widening between so many groups of people just right here in our nation. Politically, race, gender, where do we sit on marriage equality? And, and the list goes on. It seems that the gap is widening on social media and the news between the rich and the poor. <clears throat> and in this church, if I were to have you, if I were to show all the issues that are being discussed in this election and which one is the most important, we wouldn't all agree on the one that's the most important. We would be kind of all over the map on things because of our experiences and our background. I'll tell you what I love. I love being in a church, and I want to be in a church. And the stories I love to hear are times when the church and people in the church strongly disagree, yet they refuse to lose each other. Because the waters of baptism and the bread and the cup are so powerful that it holds us together through our differences. All right. <clears throat> Are you with me so far? Are we together? Okay. You having fun? All right. Um, what you have not heard me say today is that your convictions don't matter. It does, I've never said that your concerns about our nation don't matter. I haven't said anything about God being anti-political, anti-Washington, anti-politics. All right. Now, <clears throat> I know some people who are Republicans who love God. And they love people. And they always have. And they've always voted Republican. Whoever it is, is the nominee in November, whoever it would be, they would vote for them because it's what they've always done. And they love God and they love people. And I know these people and I want my kids to spend time with them because these are people I believe in and the love of God is so alive in them. And I also know some Democrats, 
some people who have voted Democratic, and it's what they've done almost their entire life, and it's what they'll do in November and beyond. And these are people who love God, and they love people, and they love the mission of God. And, and I see the fruit that comes from their lives, and, and they're people that I want my kids to know and to learn from and to be a part of their lives. I know people who, who this November, they're not going to vote. They refuse to vote. They're like Church of Christ people 100 years ago who were pacifists, and they didn't, they didn't participate in politics. And, and that's what they're going to do this November, and they love God and they love people, and I want my kids to learn from them. And, and I could go through so many other, I mean, folks who, weren't, who are going to vote, but they're not voting Republican or Democrat, but they're going to write in a name or vote for someone else, and they love God, and they love people. Now, here's what I want to do to end this sermon. I want to give you 10 things, 10 challenges that I'm asking for Christians to follow through with between now and November. These come from a heart that is concerned. I've seen people uh, through the last three election seasons, as I've preached at churches, as I counsel people, and I've prayed with folks, here are 10 challenges that I want to give Jesus people. So feel free, take notes, write these things down. This sermon will be up probably sometime tomorrow. I don't do this all the time, but I encourage you to send this sermon on to friends because I think these 10 things can help equip people to keep faith in front of all things over the next few months. Here we go. Number one. All right, is this. And these aren't in any particular order. Number one, I want you to keep 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, close to you between now and November. Put it on your mirror. Uh, let this be four verses that you go back to quite a bit throughout the year. Meditate on it once a week or so. And here's what it says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high position, so that we may lead a quiet and peace, uh, peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And verse 5 continues like this. However, if your side doesn't win, then you're no longer obligated to take seriously what I just said in the first four verses. You have every right to complain, live, live a negative life, throw fits, and behave in a way that the kids ask your spouse, is dad okay, all right? Now... <clears throat> That's really not what the Bible says. Some of you are thinking, well, fella, you just added to the word of God. Revelation says don't do that. Look at the first four verses of chapter two. Uh, because I, I've talked to some people who are like, yeah, I'm going to pray for those who are in authority, that they'll get a stomach bug for three weeks. You know, like I'm going to pray for them that the wrath of God will come. But that's not, that's not how Paul talks about this. Look, here's what you offer up to God regularly for those who are in authority. And have you ever seen the so that in First Peter chapter two, or First Timothy chapter 2? So that you may live a quiet and peaceable life. And it goes on to talk about the salvation of God as if to let people know that the way you behave in a hostile world, your behavior becomes this witness to other people of your devotion to the Lord. Because ultimately what God wants in all this is for all men, all women, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of who Jesus is. Number two, I want to encourage people to keep their faith before politics. Now, it's easy for us to say this with our lips. But if we were to look at how much time some people spend on MSN, CNN, Fox News, whatever your news source is, compared to the time you read the Bible throughout the week or your devotion to God, I don't know if it, if it, if it lines up. Now, it's one thing to say something with our lips. What we need is for whatever comes off of our lips to sink into our mind and to descend from our mind to our heart. Does that make sense? 
Because faith needs to be the primary lens that we engage all of life through, not a secondary lens. And what often happens in an election season or whenever there's an issue you're really passionate about, uh, what can happen is this. We have an issue that we're really passionate about, and now we need Scripture to back up whatever the issue is. So we go to the Bible to find ammunition for an issue. When the way you grow up in God is for you to go to the Bible with the heart that wants to surrender before the Lord because you want to mature in God and grow up in Christ and be who God wants you to be. So open up the Word and let the Word have its way with you. Keep faith before politics. Number three, daily declare Jesus is the Lord of your life. He's not a mascot. He's the Lord of your life. I know one guy, he wakes up every morning, and before he gets out of bed, he says the word Jesus over and over again. And he just speaks the word Jesus, and he thinks through his calendar for the day and all the appointments he has, all all the places he's going, where he's driving over, each and every single one of them, he claims Jesus. And he speaks the word Jesus until he feels like he is ready to put his feet on the ground and march into his day as a man who has been clothed in Christ. Now, there are days where he says it only takes him a minute or two, or there. sometimes he sits in his bed, lays in his bed for 20 or 30 minutes, needing to speak the word Jesus over and over again. Because what happens in an election season is you have Christians who are Republicans, Christians who are Democrats, Christians who who really like Bernie right now, and, and they're all over the place. And they can go to certain places throughout Scripture and find Scripture and find things of Jesus that will support whatever issue is driving them. It's good for us to remember Jesus is not a mascot. He doesn't want to be the mascot of your party. He doesn't want to be the mascot of any issue that's driving you. He wants to be the Lord of your life. Number four, and I think this is not the most important, but one of the reasons I wanted to preach this sermon. I want you to think about this. What kind of person does Jesus want you to be on November 15th, one week after the election? What kind of person does Jesus want you to be one week after the election and work backwards from what God reveals about that? Does this make sense? Because if you wait until November 7th or 8th or 9th to start asking about what kind of person you want to be on November 15th, it's going to be too late. You may have burned bridge after bridge marching up to November 8th. And the question isn't what kind of person do you want to be on November 15th? What kind of person does Jesus want you to be on November 15th? Because what if your side wins, but you lose yourself in the process? What if your side wins, but you burn bridge after bridge on the way to victory? What does God want of you on November 15th? And work backward from that place to set in motion in your life the spiritual disciplines and the prayers that can keep you rooted in God. Number five. Be a student first and a critic second. In other words, I encourage you to learn. This is where Christians have, we've lost our way with this. We should be the people. We should be experts at being able to sit with people who are different from us and to engage in conversations. And somewhere along the way, we lost this. But Christians should be the best at this. To be able to sit with other people, and it doesn't mean you have to shrink from your convictions, but to be able to hear where people are coming from. Sit with someone who thinks a little differently than you, and just ask them, share, why have you landed where you land? Just share with me the process. This was so true in my life, and some people I've talked to, when Black Lives Matter took off a little over a year ago. I had one person, they're not a member here, they came up to me, and they said, Josh, what do you think about all this Black Lives Matter stuff? 
I said, what do you mean? And they said, what do you think about it? And I said, well, here's what I think about it. I think black lives matter to God. And he said, yeah, but don't you think all lives matter? And I said, absolutely, all lives matter. Cops' lives matter. Teachers' lives matter. Black, all lives matter to God. And I said, let me ask you one question. Do black lives matter? And the guy, he wouldn't answer it. And I said, just answer one question. Do black lives matter to God? And this person could not answer it. What I wanted to encourage him was sit down with a person of color and ask them, to share with you some of the narratives that are shaping this movement because you may learn something about people. Because what happens is we project things on people without even knowing it. When you pull up into McDonald's or a Wendy's or a Chick-fil-A and there's a car in front of you and then you get in line with that person and that car had a Trump bumper sticker or a Hillary bumper sticker or still had a 2000 Bush bumper sticker, all right, you're already thinking things about that person without knowing anything about them. We do this, right? When I'm driving down the road and a car gets in front of me that has an Alabama Roll Tide sticker, I automatically think, arrogant, all right? I mean, they have the right to be, but arrogant. When I'm in LA and someone gets in front of me and there's an LA Clippers logo, I think atheist. There's no way that's a believer in God, right? We project things on people without even knowing it and without even knowing them. We can do better than that. We can do better. All right, number six, put people first. And, and, I, and I know God is first. Here's what I'm trying to say. When Jesus was asked what the greatest command is, what Jesus said is, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. If we put all of our energy into an election going up to November 8th, but we don't know the neighbors who live to the left and the right, are we following the will of God? Put people first. Number seven, John chapter 1 describes Jesus as being full of grace and full of truth. And this should be what the church longs to be about too. All right, and this is one of my concerns for Christians, especially Christians in America and in the Western world, is that either people are in churches that seem to be, they want to be like 100% truth and like 25% grace, or like all grace but half truth. Jesus modeled a way where he was full of grace and full of truth. When we attempt to promote what is right with the wrong emotion and tone, we are in the wrong. Number eight. This is a hard one, all right? You will thank me later if you observe this. Every email and every post needs to pass the glory to God test. Uh, and that may mean you need to sit with an email before you hit send. Sit with a forward before you hit send, before you post. Uh, especially the last, well, I've only been a preacher now for three elections. But since 2004, email and social media have been around. I have seen more Christians lose their witness, and burn bridges by how they talk and the tone they use in the political season over social media than anything else. Because we will get caught up in arguments on social media. We will say things on social media to people that we would never say to their face. And these are pass the glory to God test. Number nine, occasionally fast for media, the news, and social media. Um... If you could not, between now and November, if you could not give a week, let's just go with 24 hours. If you could not go 24 hours without diving into your news source, there may be an idol that has developed in your life. 
occasionally fast, you will be a better person because of it, your spouse will love you more. Your kids will, will see something different in you. All right, number 10, last thing is this. God wants knees to bow to Jesus. There are mottos that are being thrown around, and the mottos are fine. You know, strong together and make America great again. There, there are all these mottos, but as people of God, the motto that has to drive us day in and day out is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came not for the righteous, he came for sinners. And as important as November 8th is for our nation, what I want Christians to believe, is that May 30th and June 24th and July 12th, and I'm just throwing out dates, but all those days are just as important for the kingdom of God. Because the mission that God has given us is to make disciples throughout the world, which begins in whatever place we live with neighbors and friends and co-workers. So may the behave, what, what drives us to November 8th, may we be people who are rooted in the resurrection of Jesus above all things. And may we see that each day is a day where our conversations are to be seasoned with salt and full of grace for the glory of God. Can we stand together? I want to ask our elders to go to places. We have prayer leaders who are here to receive you. And before Armani comes and leads us in a song, which we're going to sing how Jesus is our all in all, I thought this was a great appropriate song for this day. If there's any need in your life, or you need someone to pray with you. If there's a conviction in your life today that maybe some of your priorities are out of whack, there are people here to receive you. We're going to experience a baptism in just a moment of somebody claiming full allegiance to Jesus. We're going to be able to celebrate that. Before Armani leads us in a song, will you close your eyes, bow your heads? If you're comfortable, will you just hold your hands up where you are? Will you give God thanks for something in your life today? Just think of one thing that you want to offer up thanks for. But God, especially this year, keep in front of us the heart of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, this very day, if there's anything that has been brought to our attention that needs to be surrendered to you, release our grip from those things. And my prayer that is if, I, is if I've spoken words today that are true and they honor your heart and your mission and who you are and what you want for your people, may those words sink deep into our hearts today to establish some roots and to bear fruit. But if I've spoken words today, that didn't honor who you are, they were false, they just didn't, they didn't honor your mission. May those, I, I'm, I'm sorry, God, it's not my intention, but may those, may those words fall to the ground, be crushed by your foot and bear no fruit at all and not be remembered. This is a day that it's all about Jesus and we want it to be that way. This day and in the days to come, through Christ we pray. And the church said, amen. Let's sing together.